Well, good afternoon, good evening again. Everyone looking forward, excited for Christmas? It's a pretty crazy storm yesterday, wasn't it? I mean, we were, we were a little further on the west, so we're trying to get a feel of what it's like in here. But uh, I was running around the street trying to figure out which, uh, it was our recycling day and our, our, our garbage day. And, and literally that windstorm wreaked havoc on all the recycling bins and the compost bin and the garbage. And so, so I was actually a little convicted because I, I, I went out, I couldn't figure out which compost bin was ours. <laughs> and there was one that was broken and I thought that was ours. So I took another one. <laughs> And then I felt convicted in my heart, so I went back out and took the broken one because I'm like, I think this might be mine. And it's not very Christian or pastoral to steal someone else's compost bin. So, uh, yeah, it was quite the day, quite the day. So I'm running around the street, you know, trying to figure out which recycling bin's mine, which compost bin's mine. It, anyways, but we're here. It's a good night, isn't it? And uh, I'm glad you're here. And I'm really glad to have everyone who's joined us online as well. Let's pray. And we're going to read the Bible for a little bit, and I promise we'll talk about more spiritual things than me stealing other people's compost bins and feeling convicted. So we'll get more of a Christmas theme in here somewhere. Let's go before the Lord. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you so much for this day. And we just take a moment right now, just even as we've been singing about Jesus, we, uh, the young ladies read the story, even the video, the emphasis on Jesus. And I just thank you, even as we go to the living word, Jesus, because you're the living word, that you'll just speak to us in such a powerful and a real way. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for family. Thank you for great food. Thank you for fun. Thank you for gifts. Thank you for just great memories that are being made and are going to be made during this time. Uh, but I thank you most importantly for Jesus, and I pray that he will just be lifted high for each one of us tonight. Again, whether we're here in person, whether we're joining online, that Jesus, you know, it won't just be a, a cliche phrase to say, oh, you're the reason for this season, but you'll really, again, be lifted high in each one of our hearts. And so we thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed, said. How many people here love the Christmas story? And besides me, I, I just, I love the Christmas story. And I think there's so many different things connected to that. I think some of it is just, you know, great memories growing up. It's a great time of the year. I, you know, just Christmas. There's so much fun about it. Yeah, I know it's in our family, there's just so many good things that happen. And, so, and, and, you know, part of it is the Christmas story. I mean, you know, and I was thinking, I was reflecting, the Christmas story is just really cool. I mean, maybe you've heard someone say that, but you think about all these different aspects. Like, you think about just how supernatural it was, how incredible it was. I mean, you've got angels appearing to people, supernatural kind of conception. Then you've got kind of this tension of Mary and Joseph have to travel to a whole nother city. They can't find somewhere to stay. Angels appear to these shepherds. I mean, who thought of all these things? Obviously God did. But he did. He could have just said, oh, Jesus came and he was born. And But there was like all these things. These angels are appearing. You know, they're going to the temple. And, you know, Simeon, who knew his entire life, he's going to see Christ. He's the end of his life. And Anna, the intercessor. They're like, I mean, there's just these incredible elements to the Christmas story. And even little parts of it, you know, that if you, you just read over and you get used to, you don't have to think about. So I want, I want to talk to you about, I think, one of the coolest parts of the Christmas story. 
that on one level was like totally unnecessary, but on another level was completely necessary. Because I, I want to take some time tonight, and, and we're just going to dig a little deeper, but I want to talk to you about the Magi who came from the East to worship Jesus. So let's read Matthew chapter 2, 1 to 12. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or the subnote says Magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that had been seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced, with exceeding, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures, they offered him gifts and gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So let's talk a little bit about these magi. Because I said, there's so many different amazing elements to the Christmas story. But this one is particularly incredible. So let's start, who were the Magi. And, and let's start with some facts about them. We'll just do a little bit of context and dig a little deeper. Now, a couple weeks ago, if you were here at service, Pastor Jared did a great message, and he reminded us several things to start with the Magi. There is nothing first and foremost in the Bible that suggests there were only three Magi. Now, I know that might rock some of you, but if you actually look in the passage, it says nothing about how many there were. And so I'm not saying there weren't three, but I'm saying that we don't know from the scriptures how many magi there were. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that there may have been more than three magi. That there may have been an entire company or an entire group of magi that came. There's some Christian traditions that actually say there were 12 magi. There are other Christian traditions that do say there were three magi. You say, well, where does the three come from? Well, for most of the way the three came from is because they brought three different types of gifts to Jesus. And so that's the first thing that I want to say. The second thing, and I know this might just mess up your Christmas picture for some of you, but the Magi did not come to the manger. Now I'll blame Pastor Jair. Pastor Jair said this a couple weeks ago as well. I'm just repeating what Pastor Jair said. They did not come to the manger, and I know that wrecks some of our nativity scenes right there because we've got the Magi and the shepherds and everybody else. But remember, they had to go to Jerusalem. They spent some time in Jerusalem figuring out where he was. Then they were directed where to go. And it says right here in the text that they came into the house. So they weren't in the stable. They were now in a house. And they came to the house and they saw the child. Not the baby, but the child. And so just... I know some of you are like, this is not going well, Pastor. You're wrecking my Christmas, my Christmas version right now. I'll never watch movies the same way again. But just, we want to know what the scriptures say. Now, 
Who were the wise men? Well, a lot of what I pulled today is a study by a Bible teacher named Rick Renner. He's got some really good stuff. But here's part of what he had said in the study. He said, the wise men or magi were exceedingly rich and powerful during the times of the New Testament. These kingmakers were highly respected and reverently feared by all, even by kings. The fact that they searched diligently and came to worship Jesus and bring him gifts is absolutely amazing. You know, if you actually go back into the text of what we look at, it actually says, it it talks about this, even within the text, it talks about how amazing it was that these magi came to worship Jesus. Like it was not just a side issue. It was huge. So let's, let's dig a little more into the Magi. Who were the Magi? Herodias, a Greek historian, actually noted that Magi were a special caste of sacred leaders for the Medes that provided uh, priests for Persia. It seems they were very gifted in astronomy, and that's why they would have been watching the stars. And they were actually strongly influenced, watch this, by Daniel centuries earlier. Many scholars actually believe that Daniel was the head of the Magi. And that the Magi actually started out of Daniel. Because if you remember, if you go to the book of Daniel and you're going to go backwards a bit, he was there in Babylon and he interpreted dreams. He had prophecies and he had visions. And he was the head of the wise men that were there in Babylon. And so what scholars actually believe, and it's so interesting, was he was started at 600 years earlier. So think where we now go back 600 years. And he had started this order of the Magi, and they greatly revered him. They continued to study his teachings and his prophecies that he released. And one of the main things that he had talked about was he'd written about a great world leader. He'd prophesied about a great world leader that was going to be born in Israel. And so the Magi were watching for this great world leader. And they were watching, and they were, isn't that so interesting? Furthermore, interestingly enough, in the years leading up to Christ's birth, there was a widespread belief throughout the Roman Empire that a new world leader, unlike any leader before him, was about to be born and usher in a golden age. So historically, you know, kind of digging a little bit more to the horse, there actually was this belief that a leader was coming who was going to be greater than any leader, usher in a golden age, and even the pagan world sensed and wrote concerning a powerful deliverer that was about to emerge on the scene. And again, what the historians actually tell us is this belief was due primarily to the writings of Daniel and the other prophecies that he shared. That's again the power of the word of God, right? And the power of Daniel. So this is who the Magi were. So indeed, the Magi were an elite, powerful, fabulously wealthy group of high-ranking priests who were devoted to interpreting dreams and who gained an international reputation for being experts in studying the constellations, which was regarded as science at the time. A combination of scientists, politicians, and religious leaders, they were staggeringly wealthy. They possessed so much power and political clout that if they chose to do so as the group agreed to, they could actually depose a king or establish a king. That's why they're known as king makers. Or a single word, they could install a new king of their preference in a place they deposed. For this reason, they are viewed by kingmakers, and without their endorsement, it was difficult for anyone to become or remain a king. Interesting, the Magi were so powerful, we do not have actual equivalent for them as an authority in the world today. Now, here's an example. How many remember Nero, the Roman Emperor Nero? He's referenced a little bit in the Bible, kind of in Paul times. But here's what actually happened. There's a historical story. This is not kind of in the Bible. This is within historians. But it's a historical story of the Emperor Nero welcoming another emperor who was coming to visit him from another part of the world. He found out that there were magi coming with this emperor. And it actually perplexed him and it terrified him. Now, this was the emperor of Rome. 
And the reason was because these magi carried so much weight and they had so much power. And so he welcomed them with celebrations. He welcomed them with lavish gifts. He treated them the best he could. They came for the visit. They ended up leaving. They said historically he actually threw a party when they left because he, was, he threw a massive celebration because he was so relieved. They came and nothing happened. So this is how powerful these magi were. This was the Roman emperor. So you can imagine, watch this, because catch this. I think we kind of have this picture, and many times it's just because of films we've seen or things we've seen. you got these three kings, they kind of sneak into Jerusalem, you know, and then they kind of sneak out. But the Bible says when they came into Jerusalem, number one, they would have known they were coming. Number two, it says not only was Herod troubled, but all of Jerusalem was troubled. In other words, the entire city was going, what is going on? What's happening here? Because these magi showed up. It shook an entire city. Now, we don't know how far they traveled, but based on, again, looking at different scholars and historical texts, there's different areas they think they may have come from, but the journey would have been anywhere between three to 12 months that they would have traveled to see Jesus. So we're not talking about, like, get up and go for a two-day trip or a three-day trip. Three to 12 months. Not only that, but again, this picture we have of, you know, we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We traverse so far, and you got the three on the camel. No, they would have traveled with servants. They would have traveled with bodyguards. They probably would have traveled with an army to protect them or some type of fighting force. You can imagine with that picture why Jerusalem was so troubled when they showed up and why Herod was so troubled when they came. And this entire group was coming to worship Jesus. Or a little bit more here. It says, the Greek text suggests part of why Jerusalem was troubled was the actual word. And this is part of Renner. He's a Greek scholar. He said, when they came in Jerusalem, the word, not that they just asked. It said they were asking over and over and over again. Where's the newborn king? Where is the newborn king? They literally were going throughout Jerusalem and they were saying, where is the newborn king? So picture this. You've got these magi with their entire retinue, their entire caravan, everyone who's with them coming in and they're saying, where is Christ the newborn? Where is this newborn king? What about the star? Think about this, how supernatural this was. So different... Bible theologians and scholars have tried to figure out what was that star. There's one theory that was suggested that around 6 AD, which is about the time Jesus would have been born, was there was an alignment of Jupiter, Saturn, and the moon, and it would have, it would have produced an incredibly bright star. Others have suggested it might have been a comet, even though there was no indication of comets during that time, or what they call a stella nova, which is a star that increases and decreases in brightness. Um, the last thought was this, simply because it says the star rose and came, that actually was a supernatural occurrence that God created. Because it says they followed the star and then the star rested over where he was. So whatever it was, it's just interesting to think what it may have been. I, I personally would probably lean towards the supernatural element. Because if we believe that God can become a man and come, but then we're like, well, no, he couldn't make a supernatural element in the sky. I mean, it said the star moved and they followed it. But whatever it was, it was an incredible moment. So, so picture this. And tonight's just a little bit more of a sharing out of the text and a kind of giving us a richer understanding of the story. But you've got these magi. We don't know how many, but there easily could have been several hundred within their group when you include everyone who was there. 
they come, they travel somewhere between three months, six months, 12 months, whatever it was. They come in, just think even what you need to bring to travel that far. They come in, all Jerusalem is shaken. Herod is definitely shaken because they show up talking about a new king and it's not his son. And so then they go, and I'm trying to picture them rolling into Bethlehem. I mean, picture that, because Bethlehem was only a couple miles from Jerusalem. If you actually see where Bethlehem is, it's only a few miles away. Now, that doesn't seem very far to us, but remember, in those days, everybody walked. So a couple miles is a pretty good distance if you're going to walk there. So they all roll into Bethlehem, and then they come and they worship, and they bring him these gifts. Now, let's take a few moments to talk about the gifts that they brought. What were they? Well, number one, it was gold. Everybody say gold. The second one was frankincense. Everyone say frankincense. And the last one was myrrh. Everybody say myrrh. So, obviously, we know what gold is. But it's interesting because I want to talk to you a little bit about the significance of the gifts. Gold was the traditional gift that was brought to a king. So, if you were going to come to visit a king, if you were going to come and visit a monarch, you would bring gold. That was one of the traditional gifts that you would bring. And so they brought Jesus this gift of gold. Secondly, they brought him frankincense. Now, who knows what frankincense is? Most of us don't. We know it's in the Bible, but we're not quite sure what it is. I mean, for years, I didn't know what it was. I think more of Frankenstein than frankincense. I mean, it was just... But what frankincense is, is frankincense is... It's actually an aromatic gum resin that comes from trees that are grown in the Middle East and different parts of North Africa. And what you actually do is it's this resin. It's kind of like this, almost like this sap, but not really just like sap, but actually something that the tree produces. And then you scrape the bark of the tree and you'd actually start to create this and collect this substance that was frankincense. And when you burned it, and when you harvest it, and then when you burned it, it produced a beautiful, sweet-smelling incense. And so it would be burnt to, bring, build, you know, to, to create this beautiful smell. And interestingly enough, it was very often used in worship of a deity. So that's where it was incense that would be burned to worship some form of a deity. And then the last gift that was brought was myrrh. Myrrh as well was a fragrant spice derived from the sap of a tree. Uh, and, and again, in that near east area. Like frankincense, it can be used as incense. But in the ancient world, it also had a wider usage as a perfume, as an anointing oil, or even as a medical tonic. Interestingly enough as well, myrrh was a key ingredient that was used when you prepared a body for burial. So, again, let's, let's back up again. Just take a look. We've got these magi. They're coming. They're wealthy kingmakers. I mean, when they showed up in Rome, Nero was trembling. And then they brought gifts for this king. It's funny enough, actually, but in those days, frankincense and myrrh actually were worth more than gold, just because of how valuable they were. They actually carried a higher value. But some different scholars and people started to try and do some studies to say, you know, what would be a modern day equivalent of, of, of these gifts that were brought to Jesus? Because I promise you, if they just traveled three months, six months, they weren't coming to tip him. You know what I mean? They were coming with just like, well, we'll just give you a nice little kind of trinket. They were coming to worship and they were coming to bring their best. 
And so interestingly enough, actually, um, there's a gentleman named Peter Daniels who's actually a, uh, uh, he's a Christian businessman and a billionaire who does a lot of different work. And he actually commissioned a study to try and ascertain with different scholars and so on how much these gifts were worth. And you know the amount they actually came to? They have been, in modern day money, it would have been worth about $4 million was their guesstimation. And there was this amount. Now, was it quite $4 million? I don't know. Those are studies and guesstimations. But I promise you, it was not like a Happy Meal and a burger combo kind of vibe. Right? Like they brought him some serious gifts. Interestingly enough, if we read a little further, I didn't read it to you now, but what immediately happened to Jesus almost after the Magi left? His family had to flee to Egypt. And they had to live in Egypt for an undisclosed number of years because Herod was trying to take Jesus' life. Isn't it interesting? How do you think they financed moving and living in Egypt? Don't you see God always provides? And he always provides a way. And so there was these gifts that were brought. Now again, what did they symbolize? Well, first and foremost, we said the gold symbolized the kingship of Jesus. Somebody say Jesus is king. The gold symbolized his kingship. I love it though because the frankincense symbolized his deity. It symbolized that he was to be worshipped. Not was he king. He was the newborn king, but he was God who came. God who deserved. That's why they worshipped him, because he was God. And they probably didn't even fully understand that at that time, but it was a prophetic declaration to worship. And then for myrrh, again, it, I, think, I think I see two things in the myrrh. Number one, it was a spice that was prepared for burial. They probably didn't even understand it, but in bringing the myrrh, there was a declaration of what he was going to do. What was he born to die? He was born to die. But what I love about myrrh as well is not it was used in burial, but it was used for anointing oil. Remember in Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. It's not just about his death, but it's also prophesying about what his death and resurrection were going to accomplish. And so, just in closing, we're going to bring this to a close and pray and finish off the service. We're going a little shorter tonight, you know, get you out to family and friends and everything else. I want to encourage us in our response tonight, in our response this Christmas, even based on these three gifts that the Magi brought. First and foremost, the gold representing that we receive Jesus as king. Can I encourage you tonight? Are you, have you received Jesus as king? Are you receiving Jesus as king? Romans 10 verse 9 says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's another word for king, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Can I challenge and encourage us tonight, this Christmas, that we renew our commitment to Jesus as our King. That we renew our commitment to Jesus as our Lord. What does it mean for Him to be Lord, for Him to be our King? It means He's our ruler. It means He's our director. It means He's in charge and we are not. You know, it amazes me how often for myself, I've got the God of the universe who knows everything, who understands everything, who created everything, wanting to be in my life, and I still want to try and tell Him what to do. I want to try and tell him what's good and what's not good and how things should happen and how things shouldn't happen. Jesus was not meant to just be a nice addition to our life. We need to make him our Lord. 
But as we make him our Lord, we start getting his results and we start getting his life and we start following his plan in our life. Is Jesus Lord? And I speak that not just to someone maybe who doesn't have faith in Christ yet, but I speak to those of us who are Christians and followers of Christ. But do we follow Christ selectively or do we follow Christ wholeheartedly? Can we, can we open our hearts tonight and this Christmas season and say, is Jesus my Lord? Secondly, I want to focus on the frankincense. So the gold represents his kingship. Frankincense represents that he's God. Can I encourage us this Christmas season, number one, with a heart of worship. The Magi came from far and wide to worship him. They invested so much to come and worship. Can I encourage us in our heart of worship? Can I encourage us in our lifestyle of worship this Christmas season? And we don't just go through the motions, but even as we're here tonight, which is awesome, but throughout this weekend, there's this heart to worship. As we worship Christ, the newborn King, that we have that heart for worship. John 4, 24 said this, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But also I want to encourage you, it's recognize that he's God. Let God be God in your life. Maybe you have some needs, let God be God. Maybe you've got some challenges right now, let God be God. Expect him to be God in your life. And the third thing I want to encourage you is the myrrh, which is thankfulness for his salvation. Thankfulness for what he's done for us. Thankfulness that he was born to die. I mean, think about this. It's that God would become a man, that God would send his only begotten son, you know, God the son, that he would live and that he would die for you and me. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9.15 says it this way, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. In other words, this gift is so mind-blowing, there's not even words that can properly say what, how amazing it is. Can we have that heart this Christmas season, just like it says here in 1 Corinthians 9.15, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thank you, God, for your gift. Thank you, God, for what you've given to me. Thank you, God, for saving me. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you, God, for filling me. Thank you, God, for all that you've done for me. And so this Christmas season, can we, as we said with the gold, reaffirm his lordship in his, our life? With the frankincense, can we renew our worship and go deeper in our worship? And then when we talk about the myrrh, can we have that thankfulness for salvation? Can we have that thankfulness for what Jesus has done for us? And all of that, but I want to say this, because I love the part. I've heard people talk a lot about the myrrh being preparing for burial. What I haven't heard people talk about as much and really stood out to me was that it was also used in anointing oil. And Jesus did what he did because he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. The anointing speaks of the power of God. And it was symbolic that the power of God was going to rest on him. But now as we get to know him and we walk with him and we become one with him, that same power, as it said in Romans 8, 11, and the same spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. So that this Christmas, not only do we have thankfulness for salvation, but we remember and we believe for the anointing and the power of God in our lives. Can we do that this Christmas season? 
How many people can we say we're going to renew the lordship of Jesus in our lives? Amen. How many of us renewing that worship? And how much that thankfulness, amen? That thankfulness for what he's done. And this is all work, not just in ourselves, it's the Holy Spirit. If we ask the Holy Spirit to help us, he'll help us go deeper in these things. But also we believe God for his power in our lives. Because how about you, but I need the power of God in my life. I need the anointing of God in my life. We need it every single day, amen? So let's just, let's bow our head and close our eyes. We're gonna bring this to a close. Miranda and the team can come back. But what I want to ask, just really quickly, I want to pray over you, but I do want to ask for a moment of response. And so if you're here tonight, and maybe one of these points or several of these points stood out to you, maybe for you it's the Lordship, maybe for you it's a renewed heart of worship, maybe for you it's that thankfulness for salvation, maybe for you it's needing the power of God in that fresh way in your life. And so if any of those really hit your heart, you know, I need that. I need the Holy Spirit to do a work in me regarding that. I want you just to raise your hand wherever you are. If there's just anything you're saying, Lord, and just it's in between you and the Lord. Say, I, I need this in my life. I need you to speak to me. I need you to work in me, Lord. And so, Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for every person that's raised their hand tonight. And I don't know the need, but you know the need. And I just thank you, God, for speaking, for ministering, for touching. You meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory. And I speak over each one in Jesus' name for your, you meeting their needs. Whatever it is, Holy Spirit, do that work in us. Take us deeper in lordship. Take us deeper in a heart of worship this Christmas season. Take us deeper in thankfulness for salvation this Christmas season. And Lord, I thank you wherever there's a need for your power in people's lives, power in their families, God, whether it's healing, whether it's provision, we believe you this Christmas season for a manifestation of your power in Jesus' name. Now, just with head bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask one last thing because we talked about, you know, thankfulness for salvation. But I just want to give an opportunity tonight. If there's anybody here and you're kind of sitting there listening to me and you realize you're not right with God. So the Bible teaches us that God loves us with an everlasting love, but we've been separated from that love by sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, it says, Romans 6, 23, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The best gift, the reason we give gifts at Christmas is, is remembering this gift of salvation that God's given to us. And so I just wanted to make sure before we go that we give an opportunity. Is there anybody here and you know you need to give your life to Jesus or you know you need to give your life back to Jesus. Maybe you used to follow him. You fell away. But there's just been this tugging in your heart. You know you need to come back to him. You know you need to be right with him. As it is with head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you tonight, could I ask you to do something? It takes a little bit of boldness. But could I ask you just to raise your hand if you say tonight you know you need to give your life to Jesus or you need to give your life back to him. If there's anybody tonight... Amen. I see a hand back there. If there's anybody else, just with a hand raised. Amen. Let's do this. Let's pray this together. We're going to pray a prayer. We're going to pray it all together. And if you raise your hand or you know you should have, I want you to pray it from the bottom of your heart. Say this with me. Say, Jesus, thank you for your love for me. Thank you that you came for me. Thank you that you died. Thank you that you rose again. Today I turn my back on sin. I commit my life to you. Forgive me. Fill me. Free me. I want to follow you.
in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, Amen, amen, amen. All right. Well, let's do this. Can we all stand to our feet just as we bring things to a close? While this is a special Christmas Eve service, this also is our weekly gathering for this week because there's nothing happening tomorrow here at the church. Enjoy your time with friends and family. Have an amazing time. Um, we do want to remind you, though, if you did want to give this week, you're more than welcome to do so. We have all the options on how to give and all the different ways that you can give. Debit and credit terminals. Believe the information. Notes on the screen behind me. Behind me. It will come up, I'm sure, in a second. But all the ways you want to give, so you can give. Uh, I do want to remind if those of you who want to get your year-end giving in, we will receive them up to, obviously, January 31st. And just in doing that. Um, also want to let you know, we had amazing offerings. Thank you for the alms offering. For people, again, we were able to bless 19 families and individuals here in Toronto City Church. So praise God for that. And we are currently, and thank you to everyone who gave generously to that. We actually had more than enough. We're, we're, I'm going to email some of you. We've got to figure out some strategies because you all just gave too much. Uh, so it's a good problem to have. Uh, but we also are over 1,600 Bibles now as well that are going to be given to believers around the world. But that offering you can still get in. So if you wanted to give, uh, basically it's $5, gets two Bibles, and it goes just to believers, persecuted believers in different areas of the world who really need Bibles. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you to all you who've given in that. So, But you can still can give if you want to as well. 